We're back. This is Resident Strangers. I'm Sarah Shallow, and I'm joined, as always, by Steve Ingram and Rich Holland. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode, just our kind of more casual conversation on Halloween and how Christians should think about that. But we are going to get back to our normally scheduled content, talking about theology and specifically right now, at least going through the doctrinal statement that we have here at Desert Springs. As always, it's linked in the show notes, but we are on number six. And here's what it says. Jesus rose bodily and physically from the grave on Easter Sunday morning. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, there's not really a literal date that we have recorded. Am I wrong or right about that? There's some guesses, I guess. Yeah. There are some guesses, but the hallmark of our faith. And so maybe spoiler alert, what we want you to leave this with is to understand that everything in the Christian, in Christianity, in the Christian faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, totally. It's uh, I've heard people say this before and, and I've said it this way too, because I think it's definitely true. If, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is totally pointless. It is not worth our time to read one more word from the Bible or to attend one more church service or to do anything remotely Christian related. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of everything else that we're doing is totally pointless. But on the flip side, if Jesus did rise from the dead on the third day, then Christianity is true and all of its contraries are false, right? If Jesus did rise from the dead, then Christianity is true, and all that the Bible tells us about our state before God and all those things, they're all true. And then, of course, that would prompt us to actually, to a point of decision, to a point of coming to grips with the truth of Christianity. Jesus was asked a number of times during his ministry, by what authority do you do this? By what what do you give us that you have the right? It actually started the very, one of his very first times in public when he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And what I find fascinating is that every single time Jesus answers that question, he answers it with the same thing. You're going to kill me. You're going to put me in the grave. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. He doesn't point at his miracles. He doesn't point at his teaching. What he points to is something in the future. You're going to kill me. You're going to put me in the grave. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. That was the sign. Yeah. And there's a a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, that addresses the importance of the resurrection. And we'll, we'll probably touch on this passage in a number of different ways, probably in this episode and next episode. But I guess I wanted to just for a second here to, to go to that passage and think about it for a moment. First Corinthians 15, Paul is addressing a false teaching that there is no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul addresses this question. He wants to, uh, to correct that uh, misunderstanding. And so to do that, he goes to Jesus, right? And so uh, in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And then from there, he goes to list the implications. What, what, what is it that follows if Christ is not risen, if he did not rise from the dead? This is what he says. If Christ is not risen, 
then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses. That is, we're liars uh, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, here's another big one. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, right? So a couple episodes ago, we talked about the atonement and God's provision for us. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of that is not true. None of, none of it occurred. Uh, we're not reconciled to God. Uh, so you, you really can't over, it's not possible to overstate how important the resurrection is for all of Christianity. It is. And Paul, even earlier in chapter 15, talks about the, the gospel that he delivered to the Corinthians. And it is yeah. of this first importance that I delivered to you that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And then he almost goes into a little apologetic, uh, which I, I think we'll get into some of that here. But the crucifixion is such a crucial element of, of our faith. And to be able to understand it, uh, so our next time together, we'll talk about some of the really practical implications to our life because it does. The resurrection affects our life today. But theologically, it really is that linchpin. Uh, I've heard it said that the crux on which all of Christianity hangs is the crucifixion and the resurrection. So if Jesus isn't raised, our faith is vain. And so this is such an important piece. I wonder, Rich always brings the book because, because he's the academic here. <laughs> we'll point to these in the show notes, but two books that I really like, I think they really get the cookies down on the table. If you're interested in getting into this more in depth than we can do in our short time together. But one's a little older book is called Who Moved the Stone? by Frank Morrison. He actually set out to disprove Christianity um, as somebody who was both a, a writer, but kind of in, in the legal sense. And so he, he, he wrote a lot about judicial stuff. And so he went and actually became convinced of Christianity going and studying this and became a follower of Christ. The other one is The Resurrection Factor by Josh McDowell. Uh, again, very, very readable, uh, but really will help you to understand the evidence that there is for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is not, this is not a sub-issue. This is the, the, you know, that central issue of our faith, that Jesus conquered death, that he's alive today. So maybe we should just go into what is sometimes called apologetics or a defense of the resurrection. Um, I know in my context, dealing with college students, uh, I, you get this a lot, right? People say, um, you know, the, the claim seems unbelievable. So you're telling me that 2000 years ago, this person was killed and then he rose from the dead. And you think that it's just so fantastic. How could I possibly know that this is the case? How, how why should I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I mean, do, do you hear people ask that question? Is this, uh, do, do people say that? Do you hear? Sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to say too, just, I, I can pull a couple things, but uh, our friend, Robbie Lashua, this is something that he talks about a lot in the Hi, ministry. Robbie. Hey, uh, in the ministry that he does with Stand a Reason, but he used to be on staff here with us at Desert Springs and he used to teach semester long Sunday school classes right. just on the resurrection. I said hi to him. I hope he's listening to this episode. I hope so too. But yeah. Oh no. I mean, I've definitely heard in my years just as a human being, just the different objections or questions or theories on, Oh, well, he wasn't actually dead yeah. or, you know, this or that or yeah. whatever. So, right. So pe- people have this question, how could we possibly know? Well, you know, I understand the, I think why people want to ask that question, but I think fortunately for us, there are some widely accepted historical facts uh, that we could look at and we could ask ourselves the question, what is it that best explains those facts? Right. And so maybe let me just go through some of these here. Um, and Steve, maybe you jump in and, and we'll, we'll talk about each one of these, but so, so the first, first thing that nobody uh, really disagrees with. Everybody seems to recognize historians and everybody says, well, Jesus was killed. He was killed by yes. the Romans on a cross and he was buried in a tomb. He was dead. Can I stop there? Go ahead. Because sometimes people push, I mean, the one or the, when I was a kid, so this will date me, but one of the theories that was kind of making its way back around was known as the swoon, the swoon theory. theory. Yeah. 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 Where Jesus didn't really die on the cross and he, uh, but you think about it. First of all, the Romans were experts at putting people to death. And they they knew, in fact, so much so that when they thought for he was dead and they decided not to break his legs, they took a spear, they punctured his side, blood comes out mixed with water. Couple explanations you can maybe get for that. I think the easiest one is they punctured the heart sack around the uh, around the heart so that 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 water that blood came came rolling out then you look at how do they bury people well they you know because the body was going to begin to decay so lots of oint ointments uh oils oils those kind of things claws Uh, most of the of the speculation is from even the mummies have been able to find probably between 100 150 pounds then they lay them in a cold damp tomb they roll a 2,000 pound stone in front of the door. They seal it with a Roman seal. And then they put the Roman guards. Now, th- again, this wasn't the temple guards, the Barney Fife's of the world. D- these were the <laughs> Roman guards. D- these were at that time, the best trained military fighters that the world had ever seen. And they put them out in front to keep the grave sealed because I mean, it's interesting that even his enemies knew what he claimed he would do because it was his enemies who put him to death. The Pharisees right. who went to Pilate said this deceiver said he was going to rise from the dead. So if something happens to that body, we're right. in big trouble. So can you seal it? And then can you give us Roman soldiers? And that's exactly what they did. And Jesus still came up out of that grave. So the swoon theory, right? So people say, oh, well, Jesus just passed out right from the pain or whatever. And then once he was in the tomb he got uh, feeling better. he got feeling better right the cool damp air or whatever he recovered and then rolled the 2,000 pounds just down 2,000 pound stone away and then just Duked sort it of, out well, with yeah, the centurions yeah, and walked, walked away. <laughs> yeah. after the in, incredible yeah. physical 
yeah. eating that he had. Well, were, and then appeared to his disciples as right, the right. conquering yeah. savior. So yeah. what's interesting, uh, if you think about it, the fact that people came up with the swoon theory is itself a kind of a defense of the resurrection. Because the only way, the only reason you would come up with, oh, well, Jesus didn't really die is because <laughs> the tomb was empty the tomb was and empty. Jesus was out of it. And so you have to come up with some other kind of explanation. And so uh, it, it just strikes me as very, very desperate on the part of these folks to come up with this theory that says Jesus just fainted. Yeah, you just have a hard time. How do you explain the empty tomb? I mean, the Pharisees knew exactly what he had claimed. They, they realized that something happens to that body, that they're in trouble. So they know exactly where it is. So after, after they, they start preaching that Jesus raised for the dead, why didn't they just go to the tomb, get right. the body, and, and show it? And that's the second historical fact that pretty much everybody agrees on is that on the third day after his death, a group of Jesus women followers discovered his tomb empty, right? His tomb was empty. And uh, nobody uh, that seems to be widely agreed on, right? That these women followers found Jesus tomb empty. And so they couldn't produce the body because the tomb was empty. Now what's, there's a lot of things that we could say about this. One of the things that I think is very, very interesting is that uh, from a cultural perspective in their day, that the people who discovered the empty tomb were Jesus' women followers, right? Now, just just think about this for a minute. If you're going to make up a story, yep. you know it's a lie. You're going to make it up because you want to start a new religion. And so part of the story that you're going to make up, you know it's not true. You're going to make up this story that your Messiah figure rose from the dead. And so you're, you're making up this story, and, and in this fictitious story you're making up, who are you going to have to be the chief eyewitnesses of the empty tomb? Well, in that culture, it would not have been a group of Jesus women followers. They would have, if you were making up that story, you would have picked some prominent male citizen, somebody very wealthy, uh, because in that day, that, that would have mattered, right? The, the status, the social status of the person who was discovering the fact really mattered. And so what I'm saying is that it just doesn't strike me as something that they would make up, right? The, the reason you would have women discovering the empty tomb is because the women actually discovered the empty tomb, that Jesus tomb was empty. And so, uh, uh, we, we also know, uh, that, the, uh, the, the tomb was empty because Jesus enemies actually confirm that the tomb was empty, uh, that where they, the Jewish authorities, they came up with this story and they're like, oh, well, we'll just say that the disciples stole the body, right? This was a cover story. Well, again, why would you need to come up with a cover story unless the tomb was actually empty? Yeah. And, and then another reason we know the tomb was empty. So Peter and the, the apostles get preaching in the city of Jerusalem, not long after this, about the resurrected Christ, and thousands are coming to faith in Christ. When they too could have just walked out and found, oh no, the stone's still here, the body's still there. It's empty. It's empty. They're yep. giving their lives yeah, to Christ. They knew where the tomb was. It would have been the easiest thing in the world. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for Jesus' enemies to say, look, 
here's the tomb. That, that's another contrary theory, by the way. Oh, they had the wrong tomb, right? Well, all they had to do was go to the right one. Hey, you guys, you just went to the wrong tomb. Here's the right tomb, and here's Jesus' body. That's well, the, all they had to do. Well, and the great thing is, if it was the wrong tomb, then the angels went to the right. wrong and tomb. Oh, that was wrong. <laughs> you know, the way it's, yes, absolutely. So, so the, the tomb was discovered empty. Uh, the next thing that uh, everybody agrees on is that many eyewitnesses, uh, as many as 500 at one time, had experiences of what they took to be appearances of the resurrected Jesus, right? So here it is. There, uh, we have the New Testament being written. It's being written at a time. To, it, it's telling us about these people that saw the risen Jesus, where all those people are still there. Yeah. If you were a skeptic, all you had to do was go ask them. Yep. Yeah, I've often wondered, you know, I was, it was very early in my life. I was just a child. But uh, was when um, our president was assassinated, uh, John F. Kennedy. And I often thought throughout my life, if anybody come and say, hey, John F. Kennedy rose from the dead, you know, he was raised and we've seen, nobody would believe it because still that many people around go, no, 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 we saw it. We, we, he was dead. Right. We know where he's buried. But this is all happening when all, and the, and the gospels are being written when those people are alive, it, it, it's, it's true. And, you know, the, the appearances I've heard it, that try to be explained away by the fact that, well, you know, sometimes when like somebody loses an aunt Mabel that they just really loved and maybe aunt Mabel will show up at their bedroom at right. night, you know, on their rocking chair and whatever. That scares me. <laughs> but that was Halloween. Yeah, that was last exactly. week. Yes. But, but you have Jesus appearing at least 10 or 11 times that we know of in a diversity of locations. And he's not appearing to people necessarily that are desperately wanting to see him. I mean, Thomas says, I will not believe. Right. You have the two men on the road to Emmaus right. who he walks with all day who weren't looking for a resurrected Christ. They're just dismayed that he died. Uh, you see him at the seashore. You see them, him eating with them. You see him uh, talking with them and saying, come, touch me. It's me. So the, the whole, not only number of appearances, but the, the uh, um the duration that he was with them and how it all played out is just completely, completely different. So there, there's a, a naturalistic explanation. People say, oh, well, this was a, an episode of mass delusion. People were just deluded. And of course, uh, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I don't even try to pretend to be one. But I, what I understand is that the mass delusion is not really possible in that sense. This just wouldn't. It's not a plausible explanation for fi having 500 or more people saying that they saw the risen Jesus. It wasn't a delusion right? That this, there was something that they were actually seeing. Now, Steve, you touched on a second ago, the next thing that I think is significant. And that is the fact that people believed it. Mm -hmm. The fact that people believe that Jesus rose from the dead is itself evidence of the resurrection. And the reason for that is that Jesus earliest followers had absolutely nothing in their background or in their religious beliefs of a Messiah who was going to die and come back to life again on the third day. They did not have any belief that would have allowed for that. Even if they did believe in some idea of a resurrection, they would have thought of the resurrection at the end of time. They would not have thought of somebody coming back to life the third day after they were killed. 
So you have to think about it like this. What, what is it that could convince somebody who was a, a Jesus follower, people who loved Jesus? What is it that could convince somebody like that, that Jesus rose from the dead when they had no predisposition to believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And it seems that the most plausible explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not only his followers. And maybe I'll finish with this one point here. This last fact that we need to account for is that, um, um, well, as you think about that, I, cause I had one more I wanted to mention not only were they not predisposed to believe, but it absolutely changed their life. Because what you have are men who were cowardly. They all ran when Jesus was arrested. They were all cowering in the upper room. But when they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, their whole countenance was changed. changed. They now, in fact, all but John died a martyr's death, going and proclaiming. The, you know, men will sometimes die for the truth, but men will never die for what they know to be a lie. And yet that's exactly what they did. So what I was going to say, I lost my train of thought there. What I was going to say is his enemies. You think about like his family members, his brother, James, for example. Yes. His brother, James, went from believing that Jesus was crazy to believing that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And so the question is, what could possibly explain James's change of heart? Uh, Sarah, do you have any siblings? I do. I have a younger sister. This is a, a speaking of our friend Robbie. He uses this illustration all the time. Uh, what is it? Could you do anything? What could you do to convince your younger sister that you are God? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Right. And those of us with siblings know this. There is absolutely I have an older sister. There's nothing I could do to convince my older sister that I'm God. And so you have to ask the question, what could it be that Jesus did that could have convinced his brother that he is God? So all these things, in the, in, when we look at all these things as a whole package, you ha- any reasonable person has to ask the question, what is the most plausible explanation for all of these facts? Uh, that he died, he was buried, that his tomb was discovered empty by a group of his women followers, that um, many eyewitnesses uh, proclaimed that Jesus appeared to them after he was dead, uh, his disciples' belief in the resurrection, despite the fact that they had no pre-existing religious belief that their Messiah would rise, his enemies' conversion, like his brother James. Uh, you, you, you look at all of those kinds of things as a whole, and you have to ask the question, what's the most plausible ex- explanation for those things? And I, I I can't think of anything that could explain all of that other than Jesus actually arose from the dead the third day after he was killed. Absolutely. We are out of time, but we're going to continue this conversation. We'll be back next week talking more about questions about the resurrection and why it's important. So we'll see you again. I hope you join us next Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Resident Strangers, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Resident Strangers is hosted by Steve Ingram, Rich Holland, and me, Sarah Shallow. Our show is produced by Brandon and Brittany Petrie, and again, me, Sarah Shallow. If you like our podcast, please remember to share, subscribe, leave a review, and visit dscchurch.com for more information.